morning, this is Deacon Mary, and welcome to our sixth catechesis session on spiritual rhythms for Coronatide. In the last few weeks, we have talked about establishing rhythms of prayer and scripture reading. We've examined what it means to be a disciple of hope and how to make friendship a priority in our lives. Today, we are going to be talking about practicing Sabbath. And with me is Laura Howard, who has been completing a pastoral internship this semester with All Souls. And for many of you, she's a familiar face because she has been worshiping with us since the fall of 2017 when she was a student at Wheaton College. And now she's in her second year at the University of Chicago Divinity School. So welcome, Laura. We are going to be starting out uh, watching the video clip in which Justin Early recaps his concepts in his chapter on the Sabbath. And then Laura is going to be sharing with us some wonderful insights that she has. Um, both from early and from her own practice of Sabbath. Today we're going to be talking about the last weekly habit, which is the habit of Sabbath. And what we're going to find is that in the rhythm of Sabbath, we encounter the rhythm of the gospel. We see in Sabbath that everything important in the world has already been finished by Jesus so we can rest. There's some really good practical reasons to Sabbath. When I talk to groups of lawyers about taking a day off, I'm, I make legitimate arguments from productivity. Um, whatever you want to be, you're not going to get there by working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's actually how you'll get to a nervous breakdown like I did. Studies show, interestingly, that work productivity sharply declines after about 55 hours of work a week, which suggests that we need rest to be productive for our clients or our customers or our colleagues and not waste time and money. Sabbath also, in an ironic way, helps with planning and deadlines, because when you have to take a day off, you've got to say, okay, I'm not working tomorrow, so what do I need to get done? Whether that's the laundry or a PowerPoint deck or some email to your team, whatever it is, you've got to tie it up so you can take the day off. And this forces deadlines. It's practically useful. Duke Ellington once said, I don't need more time. I just need a deadline. Because work, at least if you're like me, it's like a gas. It's always going to fill the space that you give it. And often containing it to six days a week doesn't mean you get less done. It just means you actually get something done. So I say all that. But all of that, that's nice. It barely scratches the surface of what Sabbath really does to us. What we're really doing when we Sabbath is we're confronted by a new identity. Here's how. In order to take a day off, in order to really stop your work for one day, you're going to have to reduce the idea of your importance. You're going to have to get comfortable with the idea that the world will make it for one day without you on email, or the world will make it for one day without you posting new content. You, you've got to get comfortable with the idea that your family is going to be fine if you postpone the errands. You've got to get comfortable with the idea that you actually really cannot finish it all. You can't. And this is so useful to realize. You know why? Because that's how reality is. You can't. We can't. We're small, limited, finite human beings who when we pass away, people will forget our names. But the beauty of Sabbath is that when we rest, we are forced to turn our identity to a God who on the cross said, it is finished. And he's the one who tells us, actually, our names are written on his hands. And the most important person will remember our names. Which means that to lean into the practice of Sabbathing is actually to lean into the center of the Christian faith. 
that we are saved by something that someone else did, something that we couldn't do. That's the message of grace. We can finally rest because God is the main actor and we aren't. Now, the practice of Sabbath is going to look really different across jobs and across life stages. So my biggest piece of advice is that Sabbath takes practice. You really have to work on it. You really have to work to find that rest. And I always find the phrase from the rabbi Abraham Heschel useful. He said, a man who works with his mind should Sabbath with his hands, and a man who works with his hands should Sabbath with his mind. And I think it kind of reminds us that worship and rest are going to look different for different kinds of people. It's always going to include worship, and it's always going to include doing something different than we do through the week. But don't think nearly so much about what you shouldn't do. Think about what you should do. For me, that's the much more important question. For example, I spend some time Saturday making sure the week's work is finished up and making sure the house is clean enough to bear the not cleaning for 24 hours, which is, by the way, never always clean. It's just a little bit clean. And then we'll start our Sabbath and we'll go out and do something fun as a family. We might hang out with friends Saturday night and maybe on Sunday morning, we'll go to the later service since that's a nice way to preserve the unhurried character of the morning. And by the way, sometimes the only way to get our four boys on time to the service. Then Sunday afternoon, we do an extended family lunch where the cousins can play and the adults can have real conversation. The thing that I would take away from that is not for you to do what I do necessarily, but just think about it. there are so many ways to engage with worship and rest. And very importantly, Sabbath is communal. You're going to need other people to Sabbath with you. We need, as it turns out, people to help us create those rhythms and remind us that the most important work in the world was Jesus's work on the cross. And that is finished so we can rest. So that's the idea behind the weekly habit of Sabbath. As always, here's your fact to ponder, your question to discuss, and your habit to practice. Fact to ponder. It used to be that Americans demonstrated their status or their wealth by showing how much leisure time they had. Now it's flipped. We show off our status by showing how busy we are and how we don't have actually time for anything. So think about how Sabbath is a uniquely countercultural practice. For your question to discuss, I want you to talk about what would your ideal Sabbath look like? What would you do? How would you lean into worship? And how would you lean into rest? Now your habit to practice this week is going to be to Sabbath. It doesn't have to be your ideal Sabbath, but just pick a day, get some friends, and try it together. See how you rest, see how you worship, and see what you learn. Hi, this is Laura. Um, thank you for having me to share with you today. I think Justin Early is absolutely right in saying that practicing Sabbath keeping confronts us with our identity as finite creatures. The reality that we can't ever finish it all, that God is the primary actor in the epic of creation. It's a practice in conceding control I don't actually have. The invitation to Sabbath is a reminder that God knows we're not finishers. It doesn't bother him that we're not finishers. He created us that way. So our need for Sabbath and rest is no reason for shame. It is right and a good and a joyful thing to need to rest, to submit our, to our God in trust in the practice of Sabbath. What enables us to practice the Sabbath is the faith that, rea that reality is how God sees it. 
With him is the one who finishes everything that needs finishing. I deeply appreciate Early's focus on what the Sabbath can be full of rather than what the Sabbath needs to exclude. Jewish theologian and activist Abraham Joshua Heschel echoes this, writing that, quote, it must always be remembered that the Sabbath is not an occasion for diversion or frivolity, not a day to shoot off fireworks or to turn somersaults, but an opportunity to mend our tattered lives, to collect rather than to dissipate time, end quote. Sabbath isn't an empty span of time. It's a sanctuary in time that we build, Heschel says. We structure our time to include the Sabbath, and God fills it with life, with a new reality that he's constructing. I love the way Heschel describes it. He says, quote, the faith of the Jew is not a way out of this world, but a way of being within and above this world, not to reject, but to surpass civilization. The Sabbath is the day on which we learn the act of surpassing civilization, end quote. So the Sabbath is not a day for doing nothing. Like Early says, it's not a day for focusing on avoiding tasks we'd do if it were a different day. Instead, it's a day for focusing intently on someone, something. It's a day for learning to, with God, manifest the kingdom of heaven on earth. So what does that mean? Heschel helps us again here. Quote, it is a day in which we reclaim our authentic state, in which we may partake of a blessedness in which we are what we are, regardless of whether we are learned or not, of whether our career is a success or a failure. It is a day of independence of social conditions, end quote. So like Early says, Sabbath is a countercultural practice. What in our civilization needs surpassing then? What social conditions in our lives need ignoring? I didn't manage to practice keeping the Sabbath until I came to All Souls. I'd tried to Sabbath on Sundays, but I couldn't find anyone to Sabbath with on Sundays as a lot of my friends while I was at Wheaton College would spend Saturday doing fun things or procrastinating and Sunday catching up on homework. I didn't want to spend Sunday reading alone because that's my job and I didn't want to spend it on a screen and so I spent the first two years of college despairing over my inability to keep the Sabbath and my lack of community with whom to keep the Sabbath. It was Lydia Griffith who talked me into going to All Souls and I rode with her to church my first Sunday. And then I rode back to campus with her and the other students she'd driven. And we met up in the cafeteria with the other cars of students who'd gone to All Souls. And we shoved a bunch of tables together and had shared conversation about the teachings that morning in the sermon and catechesis. And when the meal came to an end, other students made plans to meet up later in the day, to go for a walk in the marsh, to play board games, to read poetry aloud to one another, to eat together again in the evening. I soon realized that this, Sabbathing together, was a regular rhythm among the students who went to All Souls. It was Lydia Griffith, Paul Cardillo, George Turkington, Julia Primeth, Jerusha Crone, who taught me that collectively we could, in Heschel's words, quote, look to the Sabbath as our homeland, as our source and destination, end quote. Sabbath spent like this really did feel like heaven on earth, an inbreaking of peace, passing understanding, come to settle on us, our little monastery of sorts. But Lydia also taught me that Sabbath is not only for me and those I call my own. Her personal rules for Sabbath keeping include, first, 
not doing anything on her to-do list. And second, although she wouldn't rake her own leaves, she would rake someone else's. I watched Lydia practice Sabbath by telling people she had time for them. She lived Sundays independent of social conditions, not willing to cater to the art artificial social divisions constructed within our church, our college, our town. She'd bring folks some might consider on the fringes of our community to the cafeteria to join us for lunch after church. She'd make friends with a hoarder, help her clean out her home in the hopes that her husband would be willing to move back in. I saw her surpass civilization in the way she crossed boundaries I didn't even see until I'd seen her cross them. And then I noticed the way Lydia infused her whole week with the reality of Sabbath. She'd get dinner with me and ask me caring questions until we were the only people left in the cafeteria. She'd rake leaves off campus for people who needed it. She's one of the busiest people I know, but at the same time, the word busy feels like the wrong way to describe her life. A better description would be, I think, life to the full. I like to think of the church as the place where we learn to experience the kingdom of heaven anywhere on earth. And to keep the Sabbath, then, I believe, is to learn to experience the kingdom of heaven at any time. Sabbath in Coronatide, however, feels particularly difficult for me to practice. How do I rest from work when my bedroom is also my office? How do parents home with their children all day make Sabbath any different than a Tuesday? How do we see Sabbath, how do we do Sabbath communally if we're living alone? or while the people we're able to see in person is so limited, or while the precautions that need to be taken in order to gather safely feel so exhausting we wonder if it's worth it, or when we're geographically separated from some of those who are dearest to us, but we've run out of the mental and emotional and physical bandwidth we'd need to make another Zoom meeting or FaceTime video or phone call. How do we Sabbath when we feel death pervading our world, the death of our old ways of life, the death of certain kinds of communities and expressions of those communities, the death of real people all around us, many of whom are considered the least of these in our society. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come, but it's hard to see. I find myself envying the quickness of Christ's resurrection. He was in the tomb a mere two sleeps, as my toddler self would have put it, and we're at least 240 days into COVID robbing us of a certain kind of life, at least 2,000 years into waiting for the full and bodily return of the one who is our life. I tend to be amazed by women in the Gospels whenever and wherever they show up, but I am perhaps most amazed by the women who in St. Luke's account are the first to encounter the risen Christ. St. Luke writes that after Joseph of Arimathea received Jesus's body from Pontius Pilate, quote, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but, and this is what really gets me, they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. They rested in obedience to the commandment? while their dear friend and savior was dead. The men ran and hid, but the women rested. All I can think of when I read that passage is how. Rest is something many of us resist even when things are easy. 
but rest feels especially difficult to me in the midst of grief. I don't want to press pause in the midst of excruciating pain. Doing something feels better. I think resistance to rest, mine at least, stems from an avoidance of the fact that there is so much over which I have absolutely no control, including the pain I hold in and around me. But these women who meet Jesus on Sunday morning, on Easter morning, encourage me. I yearn for the faith that they had, the trust in God that allowed them to rest in obedience to the commandment while they weren't, um, they weren't sure where their hope was coming from. And if the women could do it while Jesus was dead, surely I can do it while I know he lives. Sabbath looks different for me now than it did a year ago. Right now it often means walking to church on the prairie path, ignoring my phone for the whole day, playing with the Kemp kids who live next door, huddling around a fire with my home group, socially distanced of course, playing board games or talking with my roommates. It's harder than it's ever been for me to practice, but it means more to me than it ever has, as small and limited as it feels, compared to my absolutely luxurious Sundays while I was at Wheaton College. I'm finding Sabbath has even more to teach me when rest doesn't come easily. Practicing Sabbath is an act of rebellion against the pull of death and division in our world, an embodied insistence on creation's impending resurrection, a reminder to us that we belong to a cloud of witnesses to the hope God offers us across space and time, even as he asks us to be still. So I encourage you to practice the Sabbath this week. If you don't already or haven't lately, find a community to practice at least part of it with, if you're able, consider and pray about what it would look like for heaven to break into your life in the midst of your personal and communal situation. What social conditions you could leave behind in this hopefully soon over Zoom era. What divisions in your communities you could work to mend even across the gaps caused by geography and masks and social distancing? What cultural norms are worth surpassing? Whose leaves you could rake? Whatever you do this week, and however you are able to incorporate Sabbath practice into your life, may God's rest become a sanctuary from the darkness around you. May heaven on earth be your homeland, your source, and destination. Thanks for listening today.